Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Blog Talk Radio. Hi, I'm Ryan Tannehill, quarterback for the Miami Dolphins, and I represent the Finsider with the PH. Hey guys, it's Friday night. It's time for a Finsider podcast episode. Uh, talk about the Dolphins coming up game against the New Orleans Saints on Monday night. Uh, we'll probably talk some Ryan Tannehill. We'll hit on the injury status of Cam Wake. Um, I'm sure at some point we'll talk about the Drew Brees 2006 decision by the Dolphins because it's a storyline that never goes away, as the uh, post on the Finsider said today. Uh, if you want to jump in, get in on the show, you can always give us a call at 347-326-9461. You can hit us up on Twitter, at the Finsider. Uh, we have a chat room open on Blog Talk Radio, where if you go to our show page there, just below the player, there's a chat window. You can jump in there, send us questions that way. And, of course, we always have the live thread up on thefinsider.com itself. So lots of ways to get involved in the show. Every week we're here Friday nights. So come take part, ask your questions, and uh, we'll see what we can talk about or what, we want to, uh, what you guys want to bring up. Uh, Duke is with me tonight. So, Duke, how are you? I'm all right. Did you say you're alive or you're all right? I'm all right. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, technically, um, um, a lot of a lot of stuff going on right now um, between injuries, between uh, let's see, Ryan Tannehill getting the the uh, the GMC never say never moment of the week. So lots of interesting stuff going on. Uh, I, I'm I'm kind of in that weird mode right now where it kind of hit me today that the Dolphins don't play on Sunday. So <laughs> it's like, wait, there's another day in here. I kind of just get to sit around on Sunday, watch football, and not worry about panicking over what's happening with the Dolphins. So it's kind of interesting, but it also makes it feel like it's so far away to get to this game. Uh, Doing some quick scanning of Twitter and the live thread. Um, The Floridian debater says, just post this in the live thread, Getting some respect at last, about time, too. I think that is true, and I know that a lot of fans, and myself included, we want to see the Dolphins on TV. I mean, that, that's what we want. 
Do we want to see him on ESPN, on Fox Sports 1, NBC Sports Channel or whatever it is, CBS Sports? All those want to national – I'm not even speaking sentences at this point. Um, we, we want to see the Dolphins represented on there. But at the same time, it really doesn't make a difference one way or the other. If they never talk about the Dolphins, it doesn't change what happens on game day. So, yes, it is nice to see some national respect coming for this team, but at the same time, I look at it and I realize it doesn't make a difference. It's kind of like the same reaction that people have to pot or to power rankings, and I know I do a weekly power ranking. I love doing the weekly power rankings because it does generate uh, discussion, and it, it's a lot of fun to do, but what does a power ranking mean? Nothing. The NFL.com does one. Does that go into the draft order or tiebreaker scenarios or anything like that? No, of course not. It's just some made-up scale that we do. And it's the same thing with this. I Wanting to uh, – oh, I'm dropping my phone. That's probably bad. Uh, it, it goes into the desire to see the Dolphins as much as we can, but – if we don't get any respect, as it says, from the national media, I'm not going to sweat it either. Oh, the Floridian yeah. debater is 56. Yeah, huh. so come up with a, it can be TFD. <laughs> like an acronym. Uh, that's how we roll. Another, another point on that as I was going through it. Um, there, There is one national media member that I want to see talk about the Dolphins right now, and it's our buddy Heath Evans. He, he He's sort of disappeared off the face of the earth now that the Dolphins are 3-0. and I know that um, the, the Dolphins Finsiders radio show they requested him this week to talk to the Dolphins, and the answer came back that his schedule is so busy he doesn't have time to talk to them. Because everybody knows he sat there and trashed this Dolphins team, and now the team's sitting at 3-0, and and he doesn't want anything to do with it. But he, he's the one guy that I would I would really, really like to see what he has to say right now. Because, yes, while some of the – I mean – it gets me a little bit when, oh, the surprise team of the year is the Miami Dolphins. It shouldn't have been the surprise team of the year. Maybe the 2-14 and 14 Kansas City Chiefs sitting at 3-0, and 0, that might be a surprise team of the year. Why people thought this Dolphins team was going to be this or that bad, I don't understand. Because it was like, oh, they, they were the big spenders on in free agency, therefore they're going to suck. That was the entire analysis. It wasn't, hey – who did they spend that money on? Hey, did anybody notice that their defense is actually really good? Nobody thought about these things. They just assumed that the Dolphins are out on a spending spree and going to suck. And now they're not, and the media's the upstart Dolphins, the surprise Dolphins. It's like, guys, it really shouldn't be this much of a surprise. This is a 7-9 and nine team last year that added talent. Why is a – Seven and nineteen that added talent, a surprise that they're actually a good team. But what do I know? I'm just a fan. I think it's a surprise. 
I think it's price factor comes in when you look at the schedule because, yes. you know, I mean, at first you kind of thought, well, you know, the, the very first game I thought, well, this is a team kind of similar to the Browns in terms of they've got some talent, they're look, kind of looking up, you know, maybe you have that way, but, you know, they're clearly not as good as the Colts, and they're clearly not as good as the Falcons. Then we go out and beat those teams. So we're sitting there at 3 and 0, whereas, you know, you look at the Jets, you know, people are like, oh, I'm surprised they're 2 and 1, but let's see who they beat. They beat the 0 and 3. Um, they beat the 0 and 3 Buccaneers, barely. And uh, they squeezed by the Bills, who were also playing a rough quarterback. So, you know, I, you know, it, it, they kind of look at it from that perspective, I think, is just that we weren't, you know, most people would expect. One and two Dolphins at this point, not three and zero, oh, based on just who we're playing. Now, yet the Falcons are injured; they're not playing up to their. I don't think the capabilities. Although, you can look and look at their look at them and say, "Yeah, they're one and two, but they've lost to the three and zero oh Saints and the three and zero oh Dolphins." So, you know, um, they lost to teams that have better records. It's just nobody expected the Dolphins to be one of those teams. They might have expected them. I think most people had us pegged at kind of an eight and eight to. Nine and seven top record, which you know, there's nothing saying that we won't finish with those records. But right. a three and a start makes it seem like that we're destined for a little more because most people talk about, well, they're going to come out, you know, at best, maybe, you know, fortunate two and three at the at the at the, at the end of the bye, and they can play some, you know, some of these Jets and the Bills and some of the things are supposed to be worse, and they can come out with that nine and seven record, having having won, you know. Having won three games in a row, we're sitting at three and zero. You know, they're thinking, "Hey, this team might be better than the nine and seven team," and they weren't expecting that. So, I can see why that is a surprise. To me, I don't think that is the most surprising thing in the league this year, um, especially when you've got teams like the Giants and the Steelers yeah. and some other teams that are supposed to be these. You know, they're always good, and they're just coming out and looking awful. So I think that's more of a surprise than the Dolphins being three and zero at this point. That's true. I mean, there there are a lot of teams that just simply look bad, even though they should have been, or on paper at least, everybody considered them much better teams. So yeah, I think you're right there. I think that those are probably bigger surprises than the Dolphins. And and to your point about the Dolphins being a surprise, I can understand that, but it just it drives me crazy when people sat there all this off season talking about how bad this team was. And it was like, guys, they were seven and nine last year. They were in playoff contention through week 15 or 16. I mean, we're, we're acting like this is a Owen 16 team that's suddenly stepping or turning it around. This team has been on the right path for a while. Now, seven and nine, four years in a row is mediocrity four years in a row, but they are a much more talented 7-9 and nine team last year than they were the year before. They are a much, much more talented team this year than they were last year. Yeah, and I think part of part of what makes it, I think, so surprising is, you know, if, if, if I told you prior to training camp, I said the Dolphins will go into the Saints game 3-0, and and, you know, most people are like, you're crazy. Uh, there will be some of the, like, well, I can see that. But if I ask, how did you do How did the Dolphins get that three? And they're going to say, well, we had a stifling defense. We ran the ball really well. Tannehill just managed games. What we're not expecting is 
a defense that's kind of not playing its best ball right now, a running game that hasn't found its legs yet, and a second-year quarterback that the majority of the media just kind of wrote off as the other guy from the from the class of 2012, right. stepping up and winning games. He's putting the team on his back and winning games. As that, you know, that award or whatever it was that he won from NFL.com, the uh, was never uh, never say never month of the week. Yeah, I mean, how many of us? We even talked about it on the impromptu podcast after the game. How many of us <laughs> watched that drive, thinking, please don't throw an interception or let's just get in field goal range? I'll admit, at the one point, I actually said out loud to my sister, "Well, at least we're in field goal range." I mean, we're just ingrained with that from years of fist pumps, you know. And here we get to the one yard line, and they lost this perfect pass. And we're like, "Wait a minute, we don't ever see those drives from Dolphins quarterbacks. That never happens. That happens to us, not for us." And so it, it, I think that is part of the surprise that they're saying, well, if the Dolphins win, it's going to be with defense and running the ball. It's not going to be with our second-year quarterback playing like a top-ten quarterback, which you look at his statistics in terms of rating, completion percentage, things like that. He's rated in the top ten in the league. So and I think that that I think that's what's making it so surprising for folks. It's just kind of it's like they would expect us to play a different style of ball and we're not. And they would think, well, the way you're playing, you're not good enough to win, yet we are. So it's, I think that's probably what's throwing people for a loop. They're just not, they're not on how to process this. Cause I, it's like I read um, there's a, on ESPN on that Grantland site, they have uh, a little, I have a segment called Bad Quarterback League where they take a race at all the crappy quarterbacks of the week. And one of the things they said this week was like, do, are, are we, do we know that Ryan Tannehill is a good quarterback? It, you know, it's kind of like they had to ask, actually ask it twice. Like, are we sure? I mean, not doubting him, just like, when did this happen? Why weren't we expecting this? So, as Dolphins fans, we kind of like, we looked at it like, yeah, we think Tannehill's going to be a good quarterback. Most everybody else kind of thought, nah, he's just, you know, he's that other guy. Now he's stepping up and looking like, looking like the man. And we're like, wait a minute, where's that coming from? And what I find really interesting about that is some of the debate right after we drafted Tannehill was about his inability to win big games. His inability, you know, you look at his college, he had good numbers, but he lost a lot of games. And, you know, a lot of that wasn't on him. Um, You know, a lot of that was just the team was just playing on. But some of that was, you know, a lot of that was, well, you know, you expect guys that you draft them to be able to step up and win these games. You know, look at what Andrew Luck did. He did that. RG3 won some big games. Tannehill never seemed to do that very much. And even, you know, even guys like Omar were talking about, you know, we want to see the kill. And so far this year he's produced two of those. So, um, you know, it was just I think that drive a lot of people said, and I kind of agree that it was, at least at this point in his career, that was his signature drive. Right. That, that was just, it was a moment where he kind of emerged and said, you know what, I'm the man here. I'm going to do my thing, get out of the way, and it happened. You know, we wanted to see that from Henny, and he had moments where he had games. But even when he had those moments where you thought, he looks like you never kind of had, he never had that feeling about it. This one did. It's kind of like Tannehill just kind of through the screen and just kind of made us all think, I'm putting this on my back and I'm winning. You know, that I got this moment, and it happened, so... 
it was it was in a sense a transcendent moment. One thing that uh that I wonder about this, and I know you've said it, I know I've said it on Twitter, I know a lot of people have said it, is every time the Dolphins go on one of these late game drives or late half drives, we keep seeing the they're wasting too much time. They're not managing the clock right. And then the team goes down and scores. And we all kind of go, okay, never mind. So at what point do we just go, you know what, let them run the clock however they want to because they've figured it out. And, I mean, it, it kind of goes with the pictures. When I posted the pictures, that thank you to my mom, by the way, for the 300 and some odd pictures that we have in that photo gallery now. Um, the, the path to Lamar Miller. That was a beautiful pass that if he caught, he's running to daylight. I mean, there's nobody going to stop it. And we all would have loved to see that and all would have been going nuts. But now looking back at it, you go, but if he caught that, there would have been like two or three minutes left for Matt Ryan to work with. By him dropping that, we end up with the 38 seconds left that then Matt Ryan goes out there and presses a little too hard. Deion Jordan gets his hand on him and he throws an interception to uh, Jimmy Wilson. So it's like, hmm, maybe this team does know how to manage the clock. We're just so used to them mismanaging it that we immediately assume that they are. It's just kind of funny because they're not managing it in the way that most people would say they need to manage it, yet they're coming out with the wins in the end. Yeah, and I wasn't so I wasn't so upset with the last drive as I was with the the end the drive at the end of the half, right? Because you know at the end of the game we got the ball. Um, what was it four four minutes left, four forty six or something like that? And at that point you want to kill the clock. You want to drive down, and you know we it was four forty six and the touchdown was scored. There was thirty eight seconds. That is a that is a a, a very impressive drive to kill the clock. At the right. same time, uh, you know, a lot of people were giving Mike Smith flack about it for not using his timeouts a little more wisely. And I understand. Um, you kinda of think, well, you know, our our defense has held them back for the most part. But here he is, he's, you know, the Dolphins are just driving down the field, driving down the field, driving down the field. And he'll taking all the defense that's given him. So it's not like he's it's not like he's out there forcing things. And it's just first down after first down after first down. And eventually he gets to the point where there's no time left uh, for him, his team to do anything. And he could have used his timeouts a little more wisely, I think. Um, so let's say he had used his timeouts a little more wisely. Let's say the touchdown still happens. Maybe he doesn't have any timeouts left, but there's a minute and a half left on the clock for, for Matt Ryan to do something. There's plenty of time with, with their offense to move the ball down the field to do something. Um, but you, you take that into account. My issues for the first half is we got the ball deep in deep in Falcons' um, territory, or sorry, deep in our own territory, and it's like there's there's a lack of sense of urgency to get the ball down the field. And I understand kind of we, they have this idea that they want to score and they want to have points at the end of the half and at the end of the game. But it seems like to me they're they're wasting opportunities to get touchdowns. And those opportunities, and so, and personally, I think it's just nitpicking. Um, it's because I want to see more, um, but you know, you've got Sturgis out there who's kicking you know, sixty yarders like it's nothing. So I mean, you know, if you're in range, you know, you're 
you know, that's good to get points and all. But, yeah, sometimes I think that there needs – to me, I think what it is is just you see when you compare it with other teams when they run these, these uh, two-minute drives or whatever, you see them hustle to the line, try to get plays off in a hurry, things like that. And it seems like the Dolphins, they get – you know, they throw a pass, then they kind of just saunter back to the line and get in their formation. It seems like it takes 30 seconds to do anything. So maybe it's right. just a, a perception thing more than anything. Yeah, I think that's probably true. I mean, they they seem to know what they're doing, and while they're in a hurry-up offense, you're right. It's not the run down, get down there, uh, and spike the ball. It's get down there, get your play set, run the next play. And it is methodical. And, of course, there are there are some seconds coming off the clock that running up and spiking the ball might save. But – I think that yeah, you're probably you're probably on right there. That to us it looks like they're moving slowly, but they have a mythology, a mythology, a methodology. There we go. Of uh, how they how they are running this two minute drill, and it's working for them. And I'm absolutely certain, and that sometime this season we will see a fake spike play. It's it's going to happen. Think so. I think so. It's, it's like it's, it's like it's tradition or something, you know. It's a uh, it's the passing of the torch, so to speak. So I'm, we've got to do this. I'm just play. saying. And I hope it's against the Jets. Week 17 against the Jets would be perfect. I'm just saying. <laughs> okay, so we have a question in the live thread. Which, if you want to give us a call, it's three four seven three two six nine four six one three four seven three two six nine four six one. If you want to tweet us, we're at the Finsider. We have the live thread up on thefinsider.com. And if you are on Blog Talk Radio, if you scroll down a little bit under the player, you'll see um, a chat box. You can also hit us up in there. I have one, two, three, four, five people in there right now. So whoever's up in on Blog Talk Radio site, you can go ahead and hit us up in the chat too if you have a question you want answered. Um, and before we get before we get to that question, I yeah. want to mention something kind of about what we we mentioned. Uh, Ohio on the site said Tannehill's been stepping up, but all the wins seem very team oriented. Everyone's pitching in, and that is a, that is a very valid point. That you look at you look at this victory, and it's not you know Mike Wallace out there always making the play, or even Brian Hartline. You know that that final drive, Tannehill was throwing the ball to Agnew. The touchdown was to Sims. Both of these were their first NFL catches. Uh, Clay was used. Gibson was used um, on defense. You've got guys like Wilson who's making plays. Um, you know, it seems like everybody on this team is stepping up at some point and making a play to get something done. It's not just one or two guys, uh, and that and that's true. It seems like that everyone is kind of buying into what's going on, and I think part of that comes from the fact that um, you know the team wants to. You've got leaders on the team that want to win and that are showing this winning confidence and, and everybody else is, is feeding off of that. Um, you know, like I've read some stuff this week about it is that, you know, we gave up five sacks in this game, but Tannehill was very well protected on that final drive. It's like the offensive line knew that they had to step up and, and, and take charge and keep Tannehill protected, and they did. So everyone's pitching in. It's not a, it's not just Tannehill's out there, you know, doing everything by himself. There's There's other people. I mean, how many of us would have, when Agnew made that catch, if he had dropped that, how many of us would have, 
you know, we would have sighed and been upset with how many of us are not. What a waste of a draft pick, and it's been terribly upset because of kind of his his status and, and, and standing with the team. But he made the catch. So, I mean, you know, it was not seen that that's his first catch. So these, these guys that you're just not expecting things to happen from are, and that's what's kind of cool about it. It is, and you're right. I mean, we are we are absolutely a team-oriented franchise right now, and it is everybody getting involved from – Matthews, Gibson, Hartline, Wallace, Clay, Miller. I mean, everybody is involved. Daniel Thomas is running well right now. You're, you're, you're seeing everybody get involved on offense and the same thing on defense. So it, it, it is going to be that way, I think, for a long time. You're going to see a lot of team-oriented stuff. We don't need that one guy to jump out and suddenly become um, – this far. We don't need Mike Wallace out there demanding the ball be thrown to him. We don't need to force him the ball. Let the game come to us and this team has enough weapons that they'll figure it out. If Tannehill drops back and Wallace is double covered all day, that just opens up Hartline, Gibson, Matthews, Clay, Miller. It opens up those guys. So you're right. It is a very team-oriented type of situation right now. And, and it's uh, the same way on, on the defense, yeah. too. I mean, just guys that, yeah. you know, you look at the secondary, and we, we drafted two guys who have not seen the field yet, and, you know, you've kind of thought, well, the secondary was going to be a strength this year, and suddenly guys got hurt. You know, Patterson had a big game. He's hurt. His, his injuries regressed. And you feel like, oh, oh crap, it's Nolan Carroll now. Yet he stepped up and playing well, uh, considering um, – I believe he's rated what fifth on PFF. Um, I think so. Yeah, he's uh, he's only giving up like I think what the, his passer rating when people throw to him is like sixty or something like that. So, I mean, you know, if you if you had said that, you know, a month ago, no one would have believed you that he'd yeah. be one of the higher rated PFF corners, and his pass rating with teams yeah. throwing him is, is is very low. So, and it goes back to what I said. I really think that Brent Grimes is going to be the steal of this free agency period. And hopefully the team does right and re-signs him and keeps him here because he's going to be somebody that can lock down one side of the field for the Dolphins while they do develop some of these younger guys. Because I know everybody wants to see Jamar Taylor out there. Everybody wants to see Will Davis. We want to see these draft picks turn it on and suddenly become outstanding players. And, I mean, look at Vontae Davis and Sean Smith. That's two young cornerbacks taken in the same draft, just like Jamar Taylor and Will Davis, and they turned into okay cornerbacks. Vontae Davis obviously had the immaturity issue, and that led to some problems. I got that. And Sean Smith is a decent cornerback. The problem is, he cannot catch the ball. And I know he has one. I think he has one interception this year. I don't think he has two. But I know that he caught one ball this year so far. So I know that there is there is this rush to get them on the field, but there, there's no reason to rush them. Now, with Dimitri Patterson's injury, and he has not practiced at all this week, that that is a little more concerning, and we do need to get the depth which does bring us into the question. Agent J asked it, but it is definitely something that we were going to talk about. Our injury report for today 
is exactly the same as yesterday, which is really not that surprising given that the team didn't practice today. So Dimitri Patterson is did not practice. Limited are Chris Clemens, Ellerby, Freeney, Misi, uh, Soliai, and Wake. And then full participation is Gibson, Pouncey, Wheeler, and Wilson. So of those, I think you'll, you'll see Gibson, Pouncey, Wheeler, Wilson, no issue. Um, I have a feeling at this point that Wake is probably going to be a pass rush specialist this week. You're not going to see him out there every play, but if they need him to go, he'll be able to go. Um, who was it? May have been Bo Camper. Somebody on the Fensiders was talking about this. And it's going straight forward and just running. He's going to feel okay. But that first time that that offensive tackle leans into him and he has to try to power off of that knee, that's where the MCL is going to get out on him. So it's it, it will be a risk to put him on the field. Now, that's assuming that it's not healed. I mean, this is Cameron Wake. He could be freaking Wolverine out there and his knee feels good and they're just being slow with bringing him back. We'll see. Uh, Soliai, probably not going to see him as my thought. He's limited. I, I have a feeling that you won't see him. I think you'll see me see. Uh, Freeney is Freeney, so that's a special teams guy and a backup linebacker. LRB is kind of a question mark for me. He only missed one snap in the last game, but he was obviously in pain. So at some point, they're probably just going to have to shut him down. And maybe they're trying to stretch it out so that he gets to the bye week and then he doesn't practice throughout the bye week and and lets whatever's wrong with his. They originally had it listed as a pec slash ribs. Now it's just ribs. So there, there's something in his chest is wrong, and they he's going to have to let it heal at some point, but he does not seem to want to come off the field. So he's probably going to be out there is my thought, but we'll see. And he is second. Uh, well, before the Thursday night game, he was second in the league in tackles. Right. He's somebody you definitely need out there. But uh, I worry that at some point – He's gonna to have to go. He's gonna to have to stop playing and let them heal whatever it is that's wrong with him. And then Chris Clemens is limited with a hamstring quad. My guess is he's gonna play because it's the same thing that he had last week. Um, that, that's just a guess again. But th- those that, those are my thoughts on the limited participation guys. I think Patterson's out again. If he's not practicing, he's not gonna play. Um, now that yeah. brings us. Two guys. And I think yeah. Soli, um, they may try some, put, Soli and may try to go. Um, you know, I think last week he didn't participate really any at all. Yeah. And this week he has. They may use him, and because he's a more of a specialist anyway, just for running downs, they may use him depending on the severity of the injury. So that leads into the, the Marvin Austin signing. And right. this is, in my opinion, a very, very – high-reward maneuver because the guy was – he's a second-round pick. He was, he's a very talented player. He just – it never – you know, it, he never got it in terms of maturity and stuff like that where he, he – you know, he was just, he was a good player in college, didn't care that much about it, got to the Giants, and 
you know, just kind of busted out up there because he didn't try and, and, and didn't put the work into it. I think, you know, being cut from a team and, you know, sitting on the bench for, you know, or sitting out for a couple weeks before, you know, actually getting signed, hopefully that will, you know, kind of spark that, that drive in him. And plus we have one of the better defensive line coaches in the league with Casey Rogers. So I think that's the name, isn't it? Yeah. Okay. That's right. So hopefully, you know, he's developed, you know, he developed solely I, some of these other guys, you know, who were kind of the same issue. So hopefully this guy will live up his potential. Now, if that's the case, then you, resign, then, you know, you resign this guy next year and suddenly we have an, another young defensive tackle that we can keep for several years. Um, that's kind of, I, I want to throw that part out there that, you know, hopefully this is a guy we can develop and he becomes, you know, a player not just now but the future. But he's also a guy that I believe that if he if they can get him to, to play hard this week, play hard this season, that he can be an impact player. And I do believe I read some stuff that said he did get some snaps with the first team this week. So I would bet very heavily he's going to be used. And I don't I, – I, I have to go back and, and look and see what type of player he is. I don't know if he's more of a run-stuffing guy or whatever, but I think he's going to be an impact player. And if he, if he steps up in these practices, then they may keep Soli Eye out. If not, they may almost – I don't want to say forced to put Soli Eye in, but if Soli Eye says he's good to go, they may have to play him just because he – he is basically our run defense at this point. Right. I think I think that the the thing that, that the Marvin Austin signing did for everybody was just confuse them on why we didn't go get Keiston Randall or AJ Francis. I don't think anybody really has issues with the signing itself other than the confusion of why we didn't get two guys that have looked good for us in the past. And obviously there's something with Keiston Randall that has scared teams away from him because he's still a free agent. Nobody has signed him. Um, and then AJ Francis got picked up off waivers. He was on the Patriots for a week or whatever it was, not even, I don't think. And now he's down on their practice squad. So he's available too. So you could see them go get one of those guys, but clearly there's a reason why they didn't want to go get them. Now, my thought is if this is still a concern when we hit the bye week or Bills week, you could see them go get A.J. Francis because that also lets them keep him on there because they have to keep a player that they poach off a um, off a practice squad. He has to stay on the roster for three weeks. Now, that is – it's interesting because he could technically be cut and – go sign with somebody else, but he will still eat a roster spot for the Dolphins. So it, it, it's he does not have to physically be there. He just eats a spot for three weeks. Now, yeah. if you if you figure you get him in Bills week, that keeps him there for Patriots week, which of course is always the goal of stealing somebody from a team you're about to face so that you can get all the inside information. So that, that's my thought on A.J. Francis is if they want him, they'll go get him at some point. Yeah, and here, here, here's something else. I mean, you know, think, well, well, you know, this guy's out there, um, Randall's out there, Francis is out there. Why don't we go after him? 
but it's the whole thing about you know we've got we've got basically three three main guys at this point. So right. um, we needed a fourth for depth player. Um, if you look at in terms of overall talent, um, Austin's more talented than Randall and, and Francis. It's just that comes down to it. I mean, you're talking about a guy that I'm reading some some um, uh, an old scouting report on him says uh, has ability commensurate with a top 15 pick. So here's a guy that's got first round caliber talent. It's just you know he's got to get it. He's got to get his head right first. If that happens, then you basically stole a first-round pick or a first-round caliber pick through free agency like that, fairly cheap. So, yep. um, I mean, it, it, I think in my opinion, it comes down simple to that. This guy's just simply better than those other two guys. That doesn't it very much about so Francis to develop or something like that, maybe later if someone else gets hurt. But, I mean, right. if, if you were to line them up basically just talent-wise, you know, Austin's going to be better than those guys. So if you can get if you can get him to maximize his talent, then you know, it's I think it's going to show up more more so than it would with the other guys. That's that's yeah, that's very true. I mean, we we are assuming that the Dolphins would the Dolphins would try to get AJ Francis back because he knows the system. But if you have a guy that has that much talent, and he clearly does. He part of what makes him an, an issue type player is he got in trouble at school, then he tried to refuse to talk to the NFL about why he got in trouble at school. Then he got to uh the NFL and he just I think they said it's a music career. There there's something else. I can't remember for sure off the top of my head what it was, but that he has aspirations of doing something else once he's out of the league and they feel like he focuses on that too much and not on his play in the NFL. So I think that at some point you just end up going, he's a high, high reward guy for a very low risk. If he can't get it, if they can't do anything with him, they cut him and move on. I mean, we're talking acorns at this point. We're not talking about somebody that they're looking to the future of the franchise. And that's what's, crazy about it is this guy is a type of player that could be a right. you know a franchise type player if he gets it you know gets the the maturity and the drive stuff um if if Casey Rogers can work that into him the team can work that into him he buys into the field and stuff becomes one of those you know blue collar hard hat and, and that's kind of got the feel to this team like this is one of those you know, we're not flashy yeah we've got some names but we're not stars we're guys that, you know, bring our lunch pail to work and you hear all those cliches that they say. But that's this kind of team. It's just a blue-collar kind of team that we're going to come to work, put in our thing, and we're going to, um, you know, try to get that at the end of the day. If he can buy into that mentality where he can, you know, he he, he, he wants to be a good player, then this guy's got the talent to be a, you know, franchise-caliber defensive tackle. So, yeah, I mean, you're not going to get that from guys like Francis or, or Randall. Those are good depth guys, maybe decent starters. This guy has potential to be a, a you know, a, a, an impact player at that position. So, you know, if he doesn't work out, you know, who cares? He was a free agent. You picked up from depth. If it does work out, you know, you've got another Brent Grimes-esque steal on your hands. Yeah, I think. 
you're probably right. I mean, he, he absolutely could become a guy like that, that he becomes a major part of the team down the line, but we got him for really, really cheap price. I, yep. Um, we do have a caller, the Floridian debater, who is 56, hiding under a new name, is on with us. So, hey, what's up, man? Hey, guys. All right, I got to ask before I get started, what do you think okay. of the new name? It's not bad. It's not bad. It's better than what you had. Yeah, that I'll give. <laughs> All right. Okay. You guys brought up the injury report, and that's where I wanted to go. Um, okay. You talked, Kevin, about how you would think that Cam Wake would become, like, the third down specialist or whatever against the right. Saints. I don't want that. The way I see it, I'm going to play this like it's a chess game. This season is a chess game. The way you give up, you give up a piece for one thing, so you can get the big picture on later. I don't see Cam. I don't think we need Cam Wake against the Saints so much because I honestly, honestly, as much as I hate to admit it, I don't see us being the Saints anyway because Drew Brees is in the elite category of quarterbacks. And since we don't have Patterson already, and we have to deal with Carroll and the number two again, I'd rather not even go there. So the biggest, re- the biggest reason I think this is because. I look at what happened, what's happening in Washington with RG3. He was the one saying this whole time that, you know, I'm healthy, let me go play. And Shanahan was saying, no, 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 no. And guess what? It looked like he was right. Because obviously something's not right with RG3 in there. So I'm thinking, okay. I don't think that RG3's issue is a health issue. I think RG3's issue is a mental issue. He's not ready to trust his knee yet, which is, goes back to Derrick Rose. Derrick Rose spent out, set out a whole NBA season because mentally he wasn't ready. When they cleared him physically, he realized, I'm not ready to be out there because I don't trust my knee. I can't beat double teams because I'm not going to put that much pressure on my knee. And I think that's part of why you're seeing RG3 not run like RG3 and why when he goes back to pass, he's throwing – off his back foot so that he can get off that knee as fast as he can, and it just it becomes ugly because of that. Yeah, but that's a, that's that's it's kind of that I get it your is. point, but here, yeah, I get my here, I get here's my thing though, because he was saying with his mouth the whole off season, I am ready. So whether it's yep. mental or not, once he got out there, I get it. But the way I see it, Cam Wake might be saying, "Look, I'm practicing. I'm ready. I'm ready." I would pull him aside and say, look, dude, you're you're the best pass rusher we've got. You're arguably the best one in the whole league. But it'll be a snowy day in South Beach before I let you go out there against the Saints and we might lose you for the whole season because you're not ready. Okay, but at the same time, how do you look at him and say, we're going to just go ahead and throw in the towel and say, we don't have a chance to beat them anyway, so why risk you? Because well, he's going to well, go, we you know what, I can get to breathe. I can get him out of his game. Well, we beat the well, Falcons. Yeah, I know. I get it. But, you know, sometimes <laughs> you got to take it, you know. Like, somebody got to step up and say, hey, dude, we need you for the rest of the season. Don't take a chance. I think I think it comes down to if he's physically able to play, you let him attempt to play, and then you just kind of monitor. I mean, yep. you know, I was watching that, that game last night, and, of course, Jake Long went down. 
And it was kind of like, oh, Jack Long's injured again. But, you know, it was one of those things he got rolled up on. It wasn't like his right. shoulder gave out or something. So it was just one of those things. I mean, if Ken Wade gets injured like that, you can't predict those kind of things. However, if he goes out there and you can tell he's playing tentatively or he's not giving it – and you can tell when you – you can just tell the difference because watch Cam Wake in the Pro Bowl and you don't see – you don't see Cam Wake. Right. You see a guy there just taking up space. You know, he's a guy that is when, – when the lights come on, he is 110%. He's all go. He does not stop. But if he goes out there and he's playing tentatively and he's not playing like the Cam Wake that we expect, take him out simply because – you do stand at risk of getting hurt, and he's not being effective. So, you know, it's kind of the same thing with, you know, I mean, most of us have played sports, and we've all been injured, and it's that same thing, you know. I've turned my ankle so many times, I, I can't, I've lost count at this point. When you step out there on the ball court or wherever else, and you drive down the lane, and you've got to plant that foot the first time, you're like, please, please hold up, please hold up. When it does... It gives you that confidence. So at some point, he's got to have to go out there and do it. I think they just need to monitor how he does it. If he if he goes there and he's going full tilt and he looks like he's being effective, let him do his thing. He's the third down guy kind of thing. If he goes out there and he looks like he's, he's playing not to get hurt, take him out and sit him just because, you know, he's not going to be effective in that type, type of way. And football is one of those types of sports you can't play not to get hurt. You have to play – 100%. Because if you play not to get hurt, you know, chances are you're probably going to get hurt. So, if he's I think to, the other thing yeah. to, I think the other thing to remember here is, we all saw the two to three weeks that it's going to take for him to heal. We all acknowledge that, yeah, that sounds about right for an MCL sprain. But the team has never come out and said that. The initial report never actually said that. When that started was when Omar Kelly got it. He made that initial report that an MCL sprain normally takes two to three weeks. And from there, everybody ran with, okay, Wake will take two to three weeks to heal. But the team said, and this is what was in the initial report, and for some reason I'm completely blanking on who made the initial report. Um, They – they, they originally said the team is going to sit and wait and watch how he does in practice this week before they make any determination. So from the beginning, the team didn't ever seem to believe that this was a two- to three-week injury. They were going to let Cam do what Cam could do and see what happens. Now, the other thing to remember is, yes, it says limited on the practice um, reports, Limited, all that means is he didn't do something that he would normally do. So if that's he didn't take one rep that he would normally take, that's technically limited. So what limited means, we have no real idea. Now, they said that in the first practice on Wednesday, he didn't, or in the first practice report, or Tuesday's practice and the first practice report on Wednesday, he was doing individual drills and not team drills. Take that with a grain of salt because, remember, the media can't be there for team drills. So the report that he wasn't doing team drills, you don't know for sure how much or how little of the team drills he he was or was not doing. So it, I, I, I absolutely agree with you, um, whatever we're going to call you since you're not 56 anymore. Um, I am the Meridian <laughs> debater. <laughs> um, 
sense, uh, I agree with you on the sense that if he's not ready, you don't rush him out there. Because that's part of why Jake Long was always hurt. That's why Vontae Davis got hurt a couple years ago. We we rushed the player out there trusting that he's going to go and take care of himself. And the player is never going to take care of himself. He's going to try to do what he should be able to do at 100%. And if he can't do it, he ends up hurt. So if he's not ready to go, if he's not ready to go, Philbin owes it to Wake and to the team to keep him out. Absolutely. I agree with you there. But if he is able to go, you play him. You also got to realize what you were saying about that is, you know, in 2008 we brought in Bill Parcells who had that mentality of, you know, if you're injured, you can't play. But if you're hurt, you can still play. Kind of right. like, you know, rub some dirt on it and go back out there and do it. But I don't think Fielding's like that. Now, I'm sure these guys, you know, they're not just going to let them get a pass. Just, oh, you're hurt, you know, sit down and take a week off kind of thing. But I don't think he pressures them to get back out there and play as fast. Whereas, you know, under Parcells and guys, you know, with Sperano and guys like that, if you were hurt and couldn't play, and you're one of these – and this is not what happened to Wake, obviously, but you're one of these fringe guys, you know, that can mean your spot on the roster. I don't think you're going to see that with with um, with this crew. So I think if, you know, I don't think I don't think the coaching staff is going to push Wake to get back out there. I think Wake is going to, but I think they will. I think they're also smart enough and they will monitor it enough to say, hey, you know what, you really can't go, and they will stop you. Simply, oh, simply by um, what what you were saying is this is not a sprint; it is a marathon. We do need him, you know, later right. in the season against the Patriots, against other teams. Exactly. So, and, and you know, we're already three and zero. So, like most people are saying, we're playing at this point with house money. Yeah, we want to win, but at the same time, if we lose this game, it's not the end of the season. Um, right. So, if he can go, and he, they're confident that he can go, and you know, give it full effort, more power to him. If not, you know, if he's if he's limping around or something, sit. You know, if if that means we lose, hey, I'd rather lose this game, be three and one, and have him healthy against the Ravens and win that game, than like you said, rush him out there, get hurt, and not have him the rest of the season. Well, I didn't mean to insinuate that that if the team if the team says right. he's ready, then Phil and the whole coaching staff are like, okay, fine. I just don't want Wake to like go and beat himself up because he's saying, look, I can play. Let me go out there. And he, they're not confident. If they are, then I say go for it, Wake. Give it all you got. Make an earthquake. But if it's him individually saying I can do it and they're not confident, that's when I say nah. That's what I meant. Yeah, yeah I, I agree with you there. Yeah, and I think the staff will do that because under the old staff, they would have played him if he said that because that's just the way they were, you know. Yeah, you may be hurt a little bit, but if you can play, you're going to play. I don't think the staff is like that. So they're going to they're going to trust themselves more than let Wake, you know, because you're right, none of these players, unless they're just absolutely – Really bad hurt. None of them are going to sit there and say, "Yeah, I'm hurt. I can't play." Um, most of these guys want to get out there and play. So he's Wake's probably pushing it. I don't think these guys are going. I don't think this staff is going to let. They've got the mentality like, "Yeah, if you can play, we'll let you play." 
but I don't think they're going to force him back out there simply because he says he's ready to play. I think that he will play when they say he's ready to play. And I think that's a little bit different. That's what we're, yeah, that's kind of what we're used to with the old staff. Yeah, that's what I meant. And the other player I was worried about, or rather not worried about so much, is Soliai. I'm looking at the uh, the roster for the New Orleans Saints, and I'm looking at the running backs, Darren Sproles and Mark Ingram, and I'm thinking to myself, Soliai really doesn't need to be rushed out there this week. Audric and Starks will do fine because I'm – you look at what the Saints do, and it's pretty much all Drew Brees all game long. So that's not even an issue with the running game today, this time, I don't think. I don't think – the thing that – the thing to remember is it's not Drew Brees all the time because that's the way the team is running. The, the Saints want to be a balanced team. They, they absolutely do. They just don't have an offensive line that can make it happen. So if you if you have Starks and Audric in there, they very much so could take care of it. But if you put Soliai in there, he's absolutely going to take care of it. If the um, Saints feel that they can run on this Dolphins defensive line, you're going to see them attack it running. Absolutely, it's it's not a it's not a concession to we have Breeze. Let's just throw the ball 800 times. Now they'll probably end up doing that because they don't have the offensive line and because they're not going to have these running backs that are going to go out there and torch the Dolphins, even if Soliai isn't playing. But at the same time, you see players like Chris Clemens, who was injured and had an absolutely horrible game according to PFF's rankings because he was injured and because he couldn't help stop the run because Soliai wasn't in there. And that tells you how big a well, how big a person and presence he is and how big a part of this team's run defense one guy is. So, yeah, I agree with you. If if Starks isn't 100%, you don't put him out there. But um, I would absolutely prefer to have him out there than not have him. Oh, I and agree I with that. that. I would rather have him out there. It's, but right. it's like this, the whole. It really is just a big chess game. It's like, do you need this guy now or do you need him later? Is it a big deal or is it not a big deal? Because Drew Brees throws the ball like 55 times every game, every stat line. It's like da 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 da. So it's like, why push it? Yeah, see, I think that's one of the things that the Atlanta game told us was that really, in terms of depth, we didn't have enough on the defensive line to fill. Soli's spot. Now, granted, you're not going to replace, you know, a, a Pro Bowl caliber yeah. player with a Pro Bowl caliber backup. At the same time, you look at Starks and Audric, and both of those guys are more suited to be three technique guys than the Soli one technique guy. So, yep. if you know you're looking at a replacement for that, you know, the only other guy we had was Vaughn Martin, and I don't think he, you know. He developed some mysterious injury and went on IR, which I saw someone on Twitter said his injury was just not being good enough. Um, I don't know if it was about that. Well, or just kind of not, and that was that not was kind that of questionable injury. I have no idea what it was, but you see, um, the the thing is, I think that's why they went out and you know look at a guy like Austin as someone who could play that that backup one technique spot that can. Feel that and let you know he's not going to start. They're still going to start. Uh, if, if Soli I can't play, it's still going to be Starks and Audrey. But you know, 
going into the 2010 season, uh, they were going to have Starks. He was going to be the nose, nose tackle. And yep. uh, Audrey, of course, was going to be the defensive end. You know, so he had to try to bulk up for that. And now, now that he's moved back down to the 4-3 tackle, he's kind of slimmed down a little bit to fit into more of that that three-technique role. So I think he struggles a little bit getting, you know, commanding those double teams at solely I can. So hopefully those guys can get that work out. If they can handle that and, and can, can, you know, stop the run that way, I think Atlanta just kind of exposed, you know, like, hey, you know, Soli is a big part of it, and you know when he's not there, it looks a lot worse than, than what we what we thought it was going to be. So, um, you know, I fully expect you know next year's draft to be full of if we do look at defensive tackles, not to look at you know the six foot three, three hundred pound guys, but more of the six foot two, two hundred forty pound guys, kind of the you know those one technique types. So hopefully. Hopefully the guys we've got now can handle that if Starks can't go. Yeah, I can see that. It's it's it, it's just that I get nervous about these kind of things. It's like I don't want to lose these guys. When I, if if this were if we were like one and two or something like that, I'd be like, you know what, fine, let's just try it. But we're three and zero, oh, and I kind of want to protect that at the same time. I look at the opponents. I look at let's see, are these is these going to be harder here? Or is it going to be harder here? I see the Saints and maybe the Ravens, and I'm thinking we've got a better shot at beating the Ravens. So let's let's save them. Then when these other guys are better, are they can handle the job we think because of who we're playing. They really are. I know they want to be a balanced team, the Saints, but who they really are is Drew Brees and company. So I'm thinking, okay, if they want to go to the air, let's go to the air. Let's keep our run defense. Um, I don't know what how to say it. Um, a little thinner than normal, and let's just give it a shot. Let's, let's see if our offense can beat Rob Ryan's new defense, and let's get ourselves ready for the Ravens game where we actually have a better chance of winning. I'm not saying we can't beat the Saints; it's just better chance odds kind of thing. And but see, I think to play devil, part of play devil's advocate. To play devil's but, advocate, you're saying that we should keep wake out to make sure he's healthy and we should keep Soli out. So you're giving up both the passing game and the running game since you just said that they aren't balanced. So we should be able to stop the run easier, but now we're also giving up the passing game. So you're saying that on the, the defensive line essentially isn't going to do a thing this week. No, not really, because I I have trust in Deion Jordan. I think he can do the job, and I think Shelby's going to have a better game than he did last time because the O-line's even worse now, right? So It is. Part of the issue here is I think kind of knowing what they had this week as opposed to last week, I mean, I think they put in starts and just expecting him to fill Soledad's role. I think what you do now is if Soledad can't go, you, the coaching staff, will have a game plan around the fact that this defensive line is now different than what it would be with with I in there. And so that changes things for the linebackers. That changes things for the safeties because that, you know, with Solei in there, you can you can let the linebackers kind of be a little more free to do some things uh, because Solei is going to clog up those running lanes and, you know, they get stopped close to the line of scrimmage with him out. 
you know, the linebackers are going to have to play maybe a little closer to the line. That means the safeties are going to have to step up and cover, you know, the tight ends and guys out of the backfield a little more. So I think I don't think it's necessarily that they're just going to concede that the defensive line is not going to be as effective. I think they're just going to change their game plan on how to use them. I don't think they did as much against the, the Falcons because, one, they were expecting the Falcons uh, not to rush as much because they hadn't at this point. They only rushed the ball 30 times all season. And, two, I think they just expected Soli or Starks to come in and just fill Soli's role. When that didn't happen, they kind of realized, hey, you know, we've got we've got to do things a little differently now. So I think you'll see some of that in this game. If Soli can't go, they will change the game plan a little bit on how they use the defensive line. Yeah, I get you. It's just um, it's just a matter of being careful. I understand if they're ready, they're ready. You know, it's just I'm looking at it from the aspect of if they're not, if they're not, that's the only way I'm looking at it. If they are, have at you. Go for it. That's all I'm saying. The the only issue with that is going to be the fact that we'll never know. If they're that's out the there, only we will. We won't. Hurt. They will. If if they get out there and they don't get hurt, we'll all assume they were ready. If they get out there and something freaky happens, we'll all immediately assume, oh, they weren't ready to be out there. And it could be exactly the opposite. They could go out there and just, for whatever reason, can't wait to let balls off. I mean, something odd can happen out there. You can have a guy go out there and make a tackle and half his finger come off in his glove and he not realize it. So no, we'll mean, never do that in the game. We'll... It's, it's a weird, weird sport. But... Um, Whatever nickname we're going to come up with you, the Floridian debater. <laughs> Thanks for calling in tonight. All right. We'll talk All right. to you later. All right. And I cut him off again. I'm good at that. Uh, <laughs> um, he, he kind of brought this up, and there's a question in the live thread. I really like cutting him off for some reason. I don't know why. I'm, I'm really good. I, I need to just stop trying to hit the mute and the dump button and just let them hang up or have James here so that he can hit the mute button because when I try to do it, I just apparently hang up on people. But, okay, the question came up in the live thread is, what are the odds, this is from Blunt Trauma, what are the odds of us trading up to get Clowney? He says he knows it's slim, but that would be a very beastly D. And that's absolutely a true point. It's something that – I wouldn't have thought before. If you didn't have April's draft happen, I think there's no chance of it happening. I wouldn't think the team would go up and do that. But looking at what the team did this April, I don't think you could take it off the table either. I think it's going to be more expensive. I think it's going to be harder to do because the Dolphins are probably going to have a better draft pick this year. But – I don't think it's something you can exactly take off the table either. I don't think I don't think it's going to happen uh, for this reason. Uh, I mean, the teams that are going to trade up into that range, they might trade up for Clowney, but teams that are going to have to give up a, a spot, it depends on what. It kind of depends on what those teams' needs are and what they're looking for. I mean, you can pretty much guess the top the top pick is going to pick more than likely pick a quarterback. So you're not getting to the number one overall pick um, unless you throw out you know everything. Plus, Cleveland's already got the jump on everyone with all those draft picks. They've got 
seven yep. in the first four rounds. So they can trump just about everyone to go up and get a quarterback or clowny or whatever they they decide to do. So it depends. And the Dolphins don't have the ammunition like they did last year. The only thing that we have that we can really offer, or or we can we can offer multiple picks and we can offer players. Um, yeah. I, I, there's the problem is there's no players on the roster at this point that you can use to move that aren't really expensive or already free or going to be just re-signed. I mean, you can say right. hey, we can move we can move a guy like Starks, but in order to do that, we have to re-sign him. So you don't sign and trade a guy. Um, yep. That works in basketball, baseball. That doesn't work in football. Um, Matt Moore, Matt Moore would be the only person on the team that it would make sense to trade like that. But nobody's going to take Matt Moore if they're up that far because they're just going to go get their franchise quarterback anyway. Yeah, and you know, and if if they're willing to take Matt Moore, they're probably going to you know say, hey, we'll just take this quarterback off somebody's hands. They won't going to want to keep Clowney. They won't get Clowney anyway. So it depends on on depends on who's up there. Um, I, I I don't know. I mean, I can see Clowney falling out of the top top two picks just because I think the quarterbacks will jump in their head of him. Um, I think more than likely, if I'm Miami. And looking at the needs of the team, and Jeff Island, they, you know, he says we do best player available, not pick by need. I'm, I'm personally, I'm a draft by need person. Uh, but yes, I think what you're going to see is once the quarterbacks start falling off the board, and Clowney gets off the board, then I think you're going to see the value, the trade value drop, because let's say, uh, let's say the first five picks are Bridgewater, Taj Boyd, Johnny Menzel, Brett Hundley, and Jadavion Clowney in some order. Now you're sitting there looking at the sixth pick. Well, you got guys like Jake Matthews, Taylor Luan, um, Sammy Watkins, you know, all these kind of other picks you can go for. They're not going to fetch a price like Jadavion Clowney or those quarterbacks will. So if I'm Miami, I'm sitting back and let, let those other guys fight our quarterbacks and Jadavion Clowney. And then I go up and get a guy like Jake Matthews or, or one of those other top-rated top picks um, at a lower value. You won't have to give up as much. So you can possibly move from, let's say, you know, we make the playoffs, somewhere in the 20s to 6 will be a lot easier than saying moving from, let's say, four quarterbacks still in the top four picks and Clowney sitting there at five. That, whoever's got the fifth overall pick is going to command a lot to give that up. If right. he gets picked to five, whoever whoever we want to take to six is not going to be nearly as expensive. So, I mean, it would be nice. I just don't see that Miami has the has the number one the desire to go up and get him because we just took pass rushers. We still got Wake. We've got some other guys. Uh, and number two, I just don't I just don't think they're going to want to give up the amount of. Uh, the cost it's going to take to move up to that high to get him. Um, you know, I think they're going to – there's going to be some intriguing players where we're drafting, I think, and I'm, I'm going to assume just, you know, based on my personal expectations of making the playoffs, I'm going to assume we make the playoffs. We're sitting there in the 20s. There's going to be some intriguing players that we can take in the 20s um, 
that are going to help this team out. You know, uh, they got some tight end prospects, defensive tackle prospects, uh, offensive line prospects that are going to be in that range. So, you know, we've got some we've got ways to upgrade this team without having to trade up a bunch of picks just to go for one guy. Yeah, I think yeah, I, I, Clowney obviously is going to be a name that people are going to want to. Um, Want, want to grab somehow, and it would feel very much so like the Deion Jordan move, but it is going to be an expensive, expensive move. Um, I don't think it'll get to RG3 levels, and I know somebody put in there that they think it would be more expensive. I don't think it would get to RG3 levels, but I think that you're gonna you're gonna see it be pretty expensive to get up that far. Well, and it, it all it all depends, you know. You know, a lot of people use that trade value chart, and it's a good tool we use to kind of when you go mock drafts and such. But it's like I've read before: you're not trading for a pick; you're trading for a player. So when we traded up to get Dion Jordan, the, right. the trade was what we gave up in the trade was not necessarily for that pick, but for that player. So in essence. We said, the Dolphins said that uh, Deion Jordan was worth two picks. The Redskins said that uh, RG3 was worth four picks, uh, very high picks. So it it depends on, you know, the GM sitting there is not looking at that trade value chart and says, well, I've got to have this and this. They're saying, Clowney is going to be the best defensive end prospect in 15, 20 years. If I'm going to give that up, you're going to have to give me a lot. So that's kind of how they're they're doing that negotiating there. So you know, it just it just depends on who's there, and I mean, everyone can you know everyone that's picking that high can use use his talent. So it's going to take yep. a, a you know a Godfather type offer to to get to get up that high. And I just don't think uh, Miami is going to be willing to. To move up the high, especially since we just took a guy like Deion Jordan, who was shown to be effective. Um, you know, you still got Wake, who's an older player, but you know, he's not got a lot of mileage. You know, you're developing guys like Vernon. Jordan's coming along. You've got Shelby, who's you know, who's had uh, some big plays this year. So you've got some guys. You know, that's a luxury that maybe we can afford to have if we had an extra. And let's say we had two firsts, like the Browns. I, you know, I, I could see them trying to make a move like that. But at this point, I and in fact, I could honestly see them trade down almost out of the first to get more picks uh, going into it, assuming, you know, we're drafting in, in a playoff spot. Uh, if we're drafting, you know, if we don't make the playoffs, we're drafting 10 to, 20, 10 to the 20 range, I don't see that. But if we're drafting, say, 24th or something, I could see them, you know, if there's not a guy there that they really want, they could trade out. Uh Acquire a few more picks. That's that's a very Jeff Island type move. Um, I don't know. The thing with the thing with Jordan is, I think that could, you know, it, I think it just happened to be the you know the kind of all the pieces fell together. The Raiders didn't want Jordan. They wanted um, DJ Hayden. They didn't want to take him at three. And we really wanted Jordan. So it's kind of this mutual. Yeah, we're willing to move. We're not going to. We're not going to take a lot because we don't, you know, we don't want to take this guy here. We're going to take him later. 
And the dolphins like, well, you know, we'll give you this. I give you some decent value, and we'll move up to get a guy that we really want. So it works out for both. I, you're not going to see that with Clowney. You know, whoever whoever trades get him, the team that trades out of that spot is going to have to get a great deal in return to justify, at least in terms of media hype, justify the the you know making that move and not drafting Clowney. So I, I just don't. I just don't see this team being – they were aggressive this year. I don't think they'll be that aggressive. Probably. You're, you're probably right. Uh, I think that it – like I said, I don't think you can take it off the table just because of how aggressive they were this year. But I don't think that that's a move they're going to make. I think that most likely, while defensive tackle will probably be a need because I don't see the team signing both Starks and Soli back, they could, but I don't think it's going to happen. Um, I think that you would probably see offensive line be the number one priority, and that's probably where they're going to look. Uh, we did get a question in the chat room, so for our first time, we have a question coming out of the chat room. Gerardo Uribe asks, "Do you think think? Well, I can't speak. Do you think Tannehill should run out of the pocket when there's trouble?" And I think that. I think that there's a reasoning why he's not. And it came out this week, I believe, that what what Tannehill doesn't want to do is limit his options. So he's not scrambling because as soon as you start scrambling, you're eliminating half the field. So he's trying to stay there in the middle and be a pocket passer, and it's something he worked on all off season to keep as much of the field open for options as possible. That being said, it's leading to situations like we have right now where he has 14 sacks and leads the leagues a number of times sacked because he's not using his legs. And he does have that ability. We've seen it. It's what made him able to be a wide receiver in college. He can run. And I think that, yes, he needs to run at times, and he shouldn't be afraid of it, but I understand why he's not, and I think that's part of the evolution of him as a NFL quarterback is learning when he should just pull the ball down and take off rather than standing there for that extra beat or two where he thinks, okay, Hartline is coming across the middle. If I wait, he's probably going to come open over here, or Wallace is going to do a double move, and I have time to wait. Because in the NFL, you don't have that time to wait. At Texas A&M, he probably could get away with it. In the NFL, not so much. And we're seeing the result of that with the 14 sacks and the five fumbles right now. Your thoughts on rushing? Yeah, I'm going to pull up um, Chris Kaufman wrote an article about it this week on the Bleacher Report. I'm going to pull it up real quick. Um if I can find it. The um that's probably gonna take me I think <laughs> having him scramble out in 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 those in those uh in those those options uh I, I I'm not a fan of the read option. I don't want him to do stuff like that. However right. I do like it when he does scramble and I think he would keep Defense is honest if he did that. Um, 
you know, I think what happens is, you know, if he's going to break out and start running, he breaks out for a 15-yard gain or something like that. Then you're going to you're going to limit how much blitzing they're going to do because then you know you've added this. You know, you look at how teams, you know, handle Colin Kaepernick and these other guys. You know, they have to keep a spy on that them. And if they do that, it limits what they can do in coverage. If you know, if you know, we looked at what the Colts did, but they were missing Vernon Davis, so they were able to keep a spy in there and limit his running ability. The Rams weren't able to do that. Colin Kaepernick didn't have to run all of them, but that thread is always there, and it affects what you can do. I think Tannehill can utilize his athleticism a little more to to uh, keep defenses a little more honest. Keep that, you know. If you send this six-man blitz, and right now they're sending these blitzers, and he's, you know, going down and taking the sack. If he's all of a sudden they do that and he breaks out a 20-yard game, they're going to be like, we can't do that again because he's going to run all over us. And he's going to have one of these, you know, six carries, you know, 110-yard games kind of thing and, and, and gash them. So when they stop doing that, it opens up, you know, the protection. He's not getting hit as much. So, but I found that article, and one of the things is a lot of people are saying that he's holding the ball too long. Is that he's he's actually not holding the ball too long. He's actually averaging. He's one of the lower. He's actually one of the tops in the league in terms of getting the ball out fast, in terms of average attempts. It's it's his third lowest, approximately two point three seconds. I think what happens is, you know, it's a well, you know, he's got to be able to hold the ball. He's down here. He's got to be able to hold the ball at least sometimes longer than the, than that. He cannot he cannot consistently throw the ball at 2.3 seconds every play. He's going to have to have some plays. You know, we've not seen any real deep plays to Wallace, and the main reason is, is he doesn't have the time to throw it. He can't set up a play action deep pass to Wallace because the protection is not there. So, um, I think you know, in some of those instances, they need to tell him. You know what? We're going to try this play, and if you don't have the play, feel free to take off and run if you see the opening. I think you're right. He does want to stay in and make a play with his arm, but I think he would absolutely be become more dangerous. And I, I'm I'm not a fan of, of of quarterback running. I don't want the quarterback to get hit. But at the same time, if he can gain, you know, if it's first and ten, and they run a you know max protect, a max protect deep. You know, play action deep pass to kind of that Ted Ginn play, and 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 the play's not there. Don't don't wait for the second or third option to come up and stand there and hold the ball. Go ahead and run, pick up six or seven yards, make it second and three, and you know then do something. Um, I I just think it would be effective if he can do that. I don't want them. I don't want them to use that as a as a main component of the offense, but I do want them to. I, I would like to see him use his athleticism more just to keep the defenses honest. And I know I've rambled a lot because I've been trying to read and talk at the same time, so I'm sorry. <laughs> You've seen how well I do that. All of a sudden, it just goes silent as I catch my attention well, on something. So. And I, I would I would try to highlight some of the stuff from the article, but I would just recommend going and reading it, the title of the article is Breaking Down the Miami Dolphin Protection Issues and Offense. And Chris Kaufman, you know, you know a lot of you know, before on the side, I'm going to say when people mention the bleacher report, they're just like, oh, that's the bleacher report. But he's actually been, 
his his avatar on there is actually of him. It looks like being on NFL Network, and he has spoken with the other insiders with the team. They have talked to him about draft stuff. So he should, he's uh, really smart. He knows his stuff. Uh, he analyzes stuff really well. Uses a lot of good uh, good terminology, a lot of good uh, examples here. So I would recommend just reading that article, and you kind of see, you know, a lot of a lot of people are saying some of these facts are on Tannehill, but it's really not. Um, I was kind of thinking, you know, like, well, you know, there's instances Tannehill just holds the ball too long. Like, well, you know, there might be one or two, but not as many as you think. So I recommend reading that article. That's a hint. Someone just put up a fan shot. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> I like I like the that's a hint. That's well done. Um, I was. I guess we we should talk it a little bit because it's something that comes up every time the Dolphins play the Saints. But obviously we have the Drew Brees, almost a Dolphin, wasn't or isn't a Dolphin because we want Dante Culpepper um, storyline that's back now. The Brees was asked about it, and I don't know if you guys read the uh, – the article I posted on it, it's called The Storyline That Won't Go Away. Um, it's Breeze was asked what he remembers from that situation. He, his answer was, I do believe I was their first choice, but at the end of the day, I felt like New Orleans was the best fit for me for a lot of reasons, not just football. I know that they ran me through a whole round of physicals, evaluations, and all kinds of stuff when I was there, which was not a good experience, obviously, but I understood that they were going to put a big investment in me so they wanted to make sure. I do remember Coach Saban saying that their doctors felt like I had a 25% chance of coming back and playing. So if you're going off those statistics, you have to make that, you have to make the decision based on that. And then he adds, here's the thing, we can sit back and kind of chuckle about it now, but there's no hard feelings. Everything happened the way it was supposed to. I don't think about it for a second. I really don't. Obviously, Coach Saban has gone on and probably wouldn't trade his career path for anything either. I don't think about it for a second, but it was just kind of one of those experiences that maybe not a lot of people get to experience. The whole free agency process, especially coming off an injury, and kind of all the things that that entailed. So I think that I, I think that we we as Dolphins fans get wrapped up on this storyline because we don't play the Saints that often. But it's obviously seven years ago. It's not something anybody – I mean, everybody on this team is different than what this team was seven years ago. Breeze is a different player than he was seven years ago. So would we be a different team with him? Would he still be here? Probably. Would Saban still be here? There's probably a good chance that he would be, that that decision made him more likely – to go back to college rather than stay here when Dante Culpepper didn't ban out. So there are obviously things that would be different, but it's seven years ago. And looking at the Patriots and how we play the Patriots every twice every year and Wes Welker's up there, I understand that. I understand the frustration that we had Welker and the poison pill that, almost was but never was actually used but because it was threatened the Dolphins felt they had to trade Welker rather than risk the poison pill and get nothing for him so I guess they would have gotten a second is that what they would have gotten 
I think they would have gotten a second, and they ended up getting a second and a seventh, if I remember correctly. But that, that's what that all came down to. And I understand feeling frustrated on that one. But on the Breeze one, I'm just at the point where it's – historically, it's it's kind of a punchline now at this point that, yep, we could have had him. But when you look at it, there's so many different quarterbacks that we could have had over these past 13 years since Marino retired that I, I'm I'm just – I'm over it, I guess. And I know that it's going to come up every time we play the Saints until Drew Brees retires, but – I don't know. It just—it seems like he's got to be tired of answering the same question every single time that he sees the Dolphins on the schedule, and it's not anything that this Dolphins franchise did. It's not anything that anybody around this team did. So, I guess—I guess I'm just tired of that storyline a little bit. Yeah, I mean it's. I think part of what drives that story is is the fact that Drew Brees has gone on to throw for like a, a bajillion yards yep. uh, since he's been in, in New Orleans. He's won a Super Bowl, and the Dolphins have been also Rams every year. I mean, we get we have the, you know the, the Cleo Lemons and the Chad Henneys and here's Drew Brees, you know, setting records and all of that stuff. You know, I think that storyline and all other quarterback storylines will end whenever Miami just starts winning consistently. And that's not going to happen this season. It's going to take multiple seasons. I mean, right. let's say the Dolphins just absolutely dominate this year and go 14-2 and two or some mess like that. And then next year turn around and go 7-9 and nine again. You know, it's got to be this consistent – the team's got to be consistent winners because then at that point we're going to look and say, you know, if Tannehill's that guy and he can do that, then they're going to say, you know what, <laughs> yeah, you remember, yeah, we could have had Breeze and we could have had Aaron Rodgers and Harris, but we got Tannehill. You know, we're not going to have to do that because we said we could have had Breeze, we could have had Rodgers, but we got Chad Henney. Oh, you know, that's kind of that, that feeling. So – when the Dolphins start winning, when they start becoming a competitive team, when they start making the playoffs year after year, these stories will die because they, they just will. Until then, you know, it won't because everyone always says what could have happened, you know, if we had had, you know, a better player. We just, we've not had that better player. If Tannehill can become that guy, you know, then then it, it'll, be a, it'll be a footnote now as opposed to a, you know, kind of a lingering right. thing. Right. And people are putting it up in the uh, the thread right now, and it is, it's a thing a lot of people have said. Um, it wasn't that it, – it, it basically came down to what the doctor said. The doctor said that 25% chance of ever being able to be a NFL quarterback again, and the doctor said that – Cole Pepper would recover better. And at that point, Saban had to go with what the doctor said. Um, Adam Beasley tweeted out today, and uh, I, I, guess, I guess it's KIH004 now. Um, he, uh, he just posted in there that Brief has, has agreed that Saban's account that he failed the physical is accurate. I think that the interesting part here is 
everything about Nick Saban has always been he's the decision maker. He's the he's the final say so. And it's just interesting that at this point he he couldn't go. No, we're we're signing him anyway. I, I it, it's just interesting. He he's Nick Saban. Nick Saban always gets what he wants, and in this case, he didn't get the quarterback he wanted, and it bit him in the butt. And then he's not going to be the coach of Alabama. But uh, <laughs> okay, I'm done with that topic. I just. It comes up every time we play them. It's something that has to be acknowledged because it does come up every time we play them. But it's not something that I really actually care about at all. It's just yeah. I mean, yeah. Even if the Dolphins lose this game Monday, you know, I don't think anyone. If Drew Brees puts up five touchdowns or some garbage, I mean, I don't think I don't think people will be like, oh, we could have had Drew Brees. You know, if we finish the season three and thirteen, then yeah, maybe, but. Again, it all just comes back to the winning. If Miami can start winning and be a consistent contender year in, year out, no one is going to really care about the past anymore. It's just, it gets, it's like, it just gets highlighted because of being being a bad team, you know. You've been a bad team. It's just constantly being a bad team, being a bad team, you know, it's just, it's always there. Once we start winning, that'll be forgotten because we'll be winning. And then you know that's that's kind of how it is. It's like you know, winning winning cures a lot. And I think if if Miami can can you know if they win this game and go four and zero, you know, hopefully that'll shut some of these storylines up. But even if not, if they can make the playoffs this season and then turn around and do it again next year, then all these storylines, you know, that the winning will cure those those ills, uh, and including those, those storylines that we have to hear all the time. So right. Um, we are right at our hour and a half mark, so get ready to uh, see if you have any last thoughts. But one more thing, uh, Uribe in the chat did come back with, what about more rollouts for Tannehill? I think that's probably a good thing that eventually will come when the team feels like they need it. I think that you'll see that moving pocket type of rollout thing. Um, I'm kind of surprised that they haven't done it. I'm kind of surprised they haven't done more Kind of like what you were saying, Duke, in the almost like maybe a quarterback draw slash naked bootleg type thing just to establish that, hey, Tannehill can run, stop blitzing as much because you need to have somebody out there to spy just in case he does take off. So I'm kind of surprised that we haven't seen the rollouts especially, but even a couple of designed runs, not necessarily the read option, although we did see one play, I believe, this past game where it was a read option style type thing. Um, so it, it's there. I'm surprised we haven't used it as much, especially the rollout, but I think it will show up eventually. So with that, Duke, any last thoughts on your mind about either the Saints game or anything around the Dolphins right now? Um, nothing on the Dolphins, I will say. I watched uh, – I'm a Red Sox fan. I don't like the Yankees at all. But you watch that uh, the the moment where where Jeter and Petty went out and yeah. leaves Mario Murvier off the mound and uh it, it's it's kinda weird because it's it seems like, you know, he's just this stalwart. He was always there and you know he was gonna win. It's just it, you look at his numbers and it's ridiculous. But it was kind of a poignant moment and 
And it was uh, kind of sad to see that it was coming to an end because, you know, it was a, it's just an era. And, and so, uh, you know, even though I, I didn't like him or his team, you know, I got to give him, got to give him uh, respect for, for, right. uh, for everything that he's done. So that was, that was neat. I, th- I think they did that right. I, I liked that Jeter and Pettit went out there. I, th- I think they did that right. Um, that being said, I absolutely hate the Yankees, and I really think that they are going to be a horrible team next year, which will make me happy. So if you're a Yankees fan, I'm sorry, but I don't like the Yankees. So, therefore, my opinion is I really want to see them in last place, kind of like I want to see the Jets in last place, but not quite as much. I, I yeah. Despise- yeah, and I think it's I think it's kind of one of these things also that you know in sports you you just kind of get used to you know for me growing up and watching basketball in the in the 90s you know I kind of got used to you know the Jordan era and then when he retired it was like you know it just kind of lost some of the interest to me um, even though there's a lot of talent in the NBA right now it's just it doesn't appeal to me. Um, and you're seeing that now kind of with – and baseball is a little bit different sport, but you're seeing, you know, an era of a, of a team that was very dominant. Uh, they were always yep. in the playoffs, always winning. I remember, you know, the late 90s run that they had and, and early 2000s, you know, and then the 2000 uh, – I think it was the 2001 World Series, uh, right after the September 11th thing with the Diamondbacks, just, you know, that, that was some of the awesome, most awesome – Moments of, of baseball that I can remember in recent recent memory, and and now that year is coming to an end. So it's kind of like you know just turning another page, and it's, you know as you get older and you start you know flipping pages and, and chapters of your life, you know you kind of get that same feeling here. It's like you know this this moment you kind of you know not really expected to go forever, but it's kind of got used to, and now it's coming to an end. And I think we're seeing that in the NFL as well with. You know, with some of these young quarterbacks coming up, and, and the Tom Brady's and and Peyton Manning, the old guard is kind of they're still playing well, but they're in the twilight of their career, and they're going to start dropping off. And now, you know, we saw that shift from Montana and Marino and those guys into the Brady Manning era, and now we're seeing the new guys take over. And hopefully, Tannehill is one of those guys. Um, yeah, you know, it's just it's one of those things that just happens in sports and. And uh, it was neat to see. It was. It absolutely was. And I, I agree. Mariano Rivera was definitely he, – he was above the the hatred of the uh, Yankees because he was the classy guy. Um, it, I, I did – the one thing that I always – watched as this was going on and especially as he walked off and then this weekend they play the Astros and then that's it. After he's gone, nobody will ever wear 42 again. He is the last person to be able to wear that number. And it just seems really, I mean, that that's something special that not only that they retired 42 for Jackie Robinson across the league, but that's the kind of career he had, that he's been in long enough to have been grandfathered into that, and now he's reaching the end of that era. And on ESPN today, they were showing, like, highlights from, like, his first save and stuff, and he is so young-looking. It was so funny to look at those games going, wow, 
it does not even look like the same guy. But okay, yeah, and I think that part of uh, part of that with the whole you know you're talking about the 42 thing is we live in an era of sports where to, you know players change change teams all the time. Um, you don't you see you know free agency in football, but you know you have your your main guys usually stay on you know, quarterback and so on usually stay on the same teams. But you look at basketball with a guy like uh, you know look at LeBron James. You know I, I can't imagine Jordan ever leaving the Bulls to go somewhere else. But that's kind of the era we live in now. Right. And so it's interesting to see a guy like you know Jeter and, and Rivera, even though you may not like the team or the players because they play for that team. That have just been with the same team forever and just done their thing with the same team. You, you just don't see that. I mean, you look at the good teams of baseball now, and they have good players that they either picked up from somebody else's squad or whatever, but they don't stay there. It's just not the way it works. So it's, you know, it's just interesting to see here's this one guy who's done this one thing with the same team over and over and over again, and now that's coming to an end. And you know, who knows if we'll see another guy like that for a long time? You know. Yeah. So. Thinking of it in terms of football, what guy? I mean, when you watch when you watch it, I mean the the Red Sox did a celebration for Rivera the last time he was in Fenway. Um, last night they're bringing him in, and the Rays are all standing at the top step of the dugout giving him a standing ovation. What guy in Dolphins history would that be? What guy? Saying he's retiring, this is his last season. Would other teams celebrate him retiring like they celebrated Rivera? And I mean, the the obvious one that's going to come to everybody's mind is going to be Marino. But I'm not sure even Marino would have that kind of um, reaction. I mean, you didn't really see the Bills out there celebrating Marino's season, their career. Now, granted, he didn't realize his career was coming to an end, so he didn't have that final tour type of year. So I don't know if Marino would even get it. I mean, Don Shula maybe, that's probably it. And that would be based on the fact that he's Don Shula, 347 wins, and all that fun kind of stuff. So I think you see it with, I think you see it more with coaches more so than with players. Right. Um Simply because, and another thing about baseball, uh, with that is the the lifespan in baseball is so much longer than the lifespan in football. Right. I mean, they're Hall of Fame guys in the NFL that only play ten seasons, and you know you don't play ten seasons in the major leagues, and and it's only ten seasons, and are considered like a great player. Usually, those guys last for twenty years or more. I mean, they, these guys play from their eighteen to their forty. So you look at a guy like Rivera who's just he's been there for so long that he's just garnered that respect because he's been doing his thing for so long. And you just don't see that. I mean I mean you look at a guy like, you know, some of the even top quarterbacks, um, some of the top quarterbacks, uh, you know, like a guy like Brady, he'll stay with the Patriots more than likely for his whole career. But even then, you know, it's just something about football. I just don't think players, you know, I don't think other teams celebrate the greatness of other of other players. They do when they go to these Hall of Fame celebrations and they do after the fact, I just don't see I just don't see anybody, you know, I don't see any player in the league. Uh, you know, maybe I think maybe Jerry Rice or something, but 
I don't see. I can't see any player in the league right now that when he walks off the field, the other the other team's going to stand up and applaud because he was just that good. I, it's, I just don't see right. Okay. On that note, um, oh, Agent J said Jason Taylor was the first that came into my mind. That's true. Um, obviously, the Jets fans wouldn't do that, and to some degree they would because he played there, but the whole they take the CL out of classy thing would probably still come up. But Taylor is another good one. Um, Thomas, the Floridian debater, put Zach Thomas up there. He's probably one that could have if he had stayed in Miami the last few years as he bounced around between Dallas and then eventually up into Kansas City for the preseason before he retired. That's And, and he also was cut short because of concussions. So that, that's, that's not a bad one. But um, that's all for tonight, guys. Thank you very much, Floridian Debater, for calling in. Everybody in the live thread uh, over on the chat room. Um, and uh, obviously on Twitter also. We'll be back next Friday with another podcast. Um, we'll see if we do another random after the game one again. That was kind of fun. I really enjoyed doing that. Um, and that'll happen this week. It is going to be a harder one with the Monday night football schedule. But it was kind of interesting to do. Uh, hopefully you caught it. If not, check it out in on Blog Talk Radio. It's on there. Uh, you can find it on the Finsider still. And then uh, you can always download the show in iTunes. So there are lots of ways to find the show if you don't listen to it live. Obviously, if you are hearing this after the show is not live, you already know how to listen to the show not live. But if you're listening to it live right now and trying to figure out how to go back and find the random Sunday night one we did, then uh, there's how to do it. There are your options. So we'll be back next Friday. Hopefully by Wednesday I have figured out why – Google Plus is hating me, and we can do the Hangout show again and do the Finsider TV. So we will talk to you at least next Friday, hopefully next Wednesday, and hopefully the Dolphins have a great game this Monday night. Everybody have a good night. Good night. Switch to Sprint Unlimited Basic, featuring TV from Hulu and 500 megabytes of mobile hotspot. Plus, for a limited time, get five lines for only $120 per month. Hurry to a Sprint store or call 1-800-SPRINT-1. Offer ends 8-16-18 after 1-31-2020. Pay $32 per month per line for five lines without a pay. One Hulu limited commercial plan for eligible Sprint account. MHS reduced to 3G speeds after 500 megabytes per month. Coverage and offer not available everywhere. Excludes taxes, fees, and roaming. Requires new lines. Subject to credit and three activation fee. Video streams up to 480p. Speed maximums, use rules, and restrictions apply. Now at O'Reilly Auto Parts, pick up a bottle of Seafoam Motor Treatment on sale for $7.99. Plus, earn double O Rewards points. Help your engine run smoother and last longer with Seafoam Motor Treatment on sale now at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices every day. Limit supplies. See store for details. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Hey, I'm Anil Dash, and I'm the host of a new show called Function from the Vox Media Podcast Network and Glitch. This season, we're talking with experts about why our voting machines are so bad and how that might hurt our elections. We'll also talk with an animator to find out how popular dances from the real world end up in video games. And we're going to tackle the biggest question in tech. 
why do so many celebrities use screenshots from that Apple Notes app to make their public apologies when they screw up? You can find new episodes of Function every Monday on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And thanks to Microsoft Azure for sponsoring Function. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. Hello, I'm Nilay Patel, the editor-in-chief of The Verge and host of Decoder, a business podcast where I interview CEOs about big ideas, the problems that come from those ideas, and how they make decisions. It is also surprisingly about org charts. It comes up a lot. We're launching a new limited series that we're calling the Centennial Series, where I talk to CEOs of companies that are over 100 years old, like Xerox, Barnes & Noble, and more. There's no 100-year-old company that's without its struggles, and it's been fascinating to talk to these CEOs about which parts of these companies' history are important and which parts they can let go. A little spoiler for you, if a company is over 100 years old, there's a lot of drama to talk about. It's been a good time. You can listen to the Centennial series right in the Decoder feed. New episodes of Decoder are out on Tuesday, and the Centennial series is out on Thursdays. Check it out. We think you're really going to like it. You can get it wherever you get your podcasts.